Each year between spring and summer, we have swarm season, a unique yearly rite of passage for hundreds of thousands of bees. Swarm season is when bee colonies naturally divide. And that's when you'll see a huge cloud of bees in the air or when they hang in a big cluster off a tree branch or the eave of your house. And that's when our phone would ring all the time with people calling with swarms in their yards. And so that was fun. Meet Meredith May, award-winning journalist and author of The Honey Bus, a memoir of loss, courage, and a girl saved by bees. We would have to drop everything and hop in the truck and race to go get them because they don't hang that long in between homes. A swarm is on its way to a new home that it's discovered, so you have to catch them in time. So it looks really dramatic, but it's actually a really safe time to handle bees. You just you have to bring an empty hive box, and you have to reach the swarm either by a ladder or sometimes when you're lucky it's within reach and you can just saw the branch off or shake the bees into the box the trick is you've got to get the queen because once you have the queen all the bees will come to her and the reason they're easy to handle at that time is because they've eaten a lot of honey in preparation for their trip so they're very full and lethargic and they're less likely to sting you May was a little girl at the time, living in Big Sur, California, with her grandmother and grandpa, who was a fourth-generation beekeeper. I was four. My little brother was two. We lived in Rhode Island because my dad was in the Navy. My mom is very volatile. I remember a lot of dishware flying in the house. So it was after one of these big fights. Shortly thereafter, I was on a plane. And when the plane landed, we were in California, and we were, we being my mother, my brother, and I, my dad stayed behind. We moved in with my grandparents, and the three of us moved in my mother's childhood bedroom, and that's where we were for pretty much the next decade. That was our living arrangement. Her mother spiraled into major depression and basically didn't get out of bed for the next several years. May draws many parallels to her life as a child and the behavior of bees. When the queen leaves, the bees become visibly anxious. Like within 10 or 15 minutes, they'll start to smell the queen pheromone is gone. And they'll get really visibly agitated. And you can see it. They look like they're itchy and they shake and they run around. They're actually looking for her. So... Hives have personalities and they also have moods and you can sense this and see this. So, for example, I can open a hive that was comfortable, humming along, not aggressive one week. And then the next week I open it and it's totally different. And I can say, I think they lost their queen just by the way that they're behaving. Though she and her brother ran wild and got into plenty of trouble, the world of beekeeping mesmerized May from the moment she first arrived at her grandparents' home. The Honey Bus is an old World War II army bus, and it's green, and it's rusting from the rain, and it's, there's no engine in it, and it's permanently marooned in Grandpa's backyard. And that's his honey house. He gutted it. He took all the seats out, and he put his honey factory inside. That's where he bottles honey. And it was kept locked 
to keep little hands out of it. And I was just fascinated by it. I wanted to see what it was like in there. Grandpa would work in there at night or really all day into the night and his friends would join him from Big Sur and I would sit in the weeds and kind of watch and just watch them laughing and making honey and drinking beer. And I, it held like this Willy Wonka fascination over me. I wanted to see what was going on in there. You've probably seen beehives while driving in the country. They're those stacks of white boxes standing in a field or under trees. One stack is one colony, and each colony has one queen. A beekeeper inspects beehive frames to make sure the queen is healthy. May says she's easy to spot because all the worker bees huddle around her like petals on a daisy. Bees have various jobs inside the hive, but all the jobs are done by female worker bees. The male drones don't do anything. Their job is just to mate occasionally. So what you're looking at are female bees keeping a protective circle around her. It's kind of like parting the crowds for a rock star. So they're just making sure she can walk around and find a place to lay an egg. And they feed her and bring her water. She can't feed herself, so they make sure she can eat. And they keep her warm at night. They cuddle her. (laughs) In a beehive, it holds eight frames per box. And the two bottom boxes are bigger. That's where the nursery is. That's where the queen lays eggs. So she's going to be in one of the two bottom boxes. I know at least that much. So I have 16 frames to look at to find her. The boxes above the nursery are a little shorter, and those are called honey supers, and that's where their pantry is. That's where they store their honey. May learned many life lessons from bees, like what unconditional parental love and generosity look like. One time we were beekeeping and it started to rain and we had one of those nursery frames in our hand. It was honeycomb with eggs inside the honeycomb. All of a sudden, all the nurse bees, whose job it is to feed the babies, all of them lined up, all facing the same direction and they interlocked their wings and it looked like a corn cob. And they were protecting the eggs from the rain. And their wings were connected like Spanish roof tiles. It was the most amazing thing. Like, how did they communicate that to each other? How did they do it so quickly when our eyes were off of them for a second? And that they put themselves in harm's way for the babies, I think, was a beautiful thing for me to see. It's the exact opposite of a dysfunctional family. That's why I loved it as a kid. Tragically, today's industrial, large-scale beekeeping creates dysfunctional, stressed-out bees. Besides pesticides, May believes it's another reason bees are in big trouble. People who have thousands and thousands and thousands of hives put them on semi-trailers and truck them around the country following the bloom at you know, major orchards. And it's stressful for the bees to be constantly moving because each time they're put in a new farm, they have to reorient and figure out where they are. And then they're forced to pollinate a monocrop. So imagine you or I having to eat a hot dog every day for a month and then having to eat a hamburger every day for a month. And we'd get sick too. 
May's grandfather sought to be of service to the bees, to provide a sanctuary for them, and to only take their honey when there was a surplus. If you treat them well, you will get a bountiful surplus because bees have OCD. They work so hard. But one of the criticisms my grandfather had of industrial large-scale beekeeping that I share is that man has this propensity to take nature and force it to work for him or her. And when you do that, you destroy the thing that's bringing you joy and money. And it never works out well in the end. There are many books on the market about how to raise bees. May wanted to write something different. Obviously, we can't lose our bees when they pollinate a third of the food grown on the planet. I mean, people understand that. And I didn't really want to repeat that conversation. But what I wanted to talk about was the moral necessity of bees, their social structure, the way they care for one another has not changed over the last 100 million years. So they must be doing something right. They're a perfect democratic society. They take everybody's input and then they make a group decision. And the group decision is for the betterment of the whole. And they thrive by each doing a little tiny bit of contribution and work. As a fifth-generation beekeeper, May continues to care for her family's progeny of bees. You can learn more about this topic and our guest, Meredith May, by heading to viewpointsradio.org. This segment originally aired in May 2019 and was written by Polly Hansen. Our executive producer is Amira Zaveri. Our studio manager is Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Coming up next week. When you have lawmakers that create systematic policies that are really only set up to favor people with deep pockets, then you have the rise of corporate industry taking over. Who's really profiting from the growing cannabis industry? Then. It's not just somebody angry at a school board meeting. It's how maybe an entire set of school librarians in one school district are afraid of going to jail. So they're going to remove whatever books might get them in trouble. The growing movement to ban controversial books. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows and find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Viewpoints.